SEP Fanfic Readings presents Draco Malfoy and the Mortifying Ordeal of Being in Love by Is This Self-Care Chapter 4 Imbolc In his handful of years working with Potter and Weasley, Draco had developed a cool, professional kind of rapport with them, which Weasley demonstrated the next morning by calling, Oi, dickhead, and hanging over Draco's cubicle wall like a disjointed ginger muppet. What do you want, Weasel? "'We heard Hermione's been assigned an oar protection, and that the bloke's a tosser,' he said Weasley. "'Was that her description or yours?' Potter, whose disastrous hair and vivid green eyes now popped up over the cubicle wall, said, "'Ours. She says you've been quite professional. We know the truth.' "'Lucky bugger,' said Weasley. "'How come Tonks gave us the vampires and you the Hermione-minding? You don't even like her.' "'I understand that it was a question of competence,' said Draco.' "'Tonks said she needed to sign the finest ore to protect the finest mine in the U.K.' Weasley scoffed. Potter laughed. "'And the nuisance auras to deal with the nuisance vampires,' finished Draco. "'I said no such thing,' said Tonks, waddling by in the form of a short, overweight man. "'Shouldn't you all be off working, you blatherskites? You're all nuisance auras as far as I'm concerned.' Potter and Weasley chortled. Draco was offended. "'What's Hermione working on, anyway?' "'That's got old Shack all worked up,' said Weasley. "'She won't tell us.' "'That information's on a need-to-know basis,' said Draco, tapping his nose. "'He hadn't a clue either, but winding up the nuisance duo was always a good time. "'The two of them looked suitably annoyed that Draco seemed to know something they didn't. "'Work!' shouted Tonks from her office. "'Yes, boss,' replied Weasley. "'Word to the wise, Malfoy,' said Potter as they left. "'Don't insult Hermione's cat.' "'Too late,' said Draco." Two weeks passed during which all was quiet on the Granger front. Her ring had been calibrated to alert Draco to extreme physiological or emotional shifts that might indicate immediate danger, significant spikes of fear, panic, pain, or an unusually high heart rate. In general, Granger seemed to be miraculously even-tempered. There was one day when Draco's ring tingled at him throughout the morning, signaling that Granger's pulse was elevated at various points, but not quite at the threshold signaling a wild panic. He set it out of his mind and joined Gogan and a few junior Aurors for a hand-to-hand -hand combat session. Tonks insisted that her Aurors not only maintained their dueling expertise through rigorous practice, but also their abilities as physical fighters. Many had moaned about having to learn to fight like muggles. Tonks had set them straight. A disarmed Auror with hand-to-hand -hand training could still outmaneuver, disarm, or maim an opponent, if he kept his wits about him. A wandless Auror without those things was a very dead Auror. Granger's elevated pulse, the fourth such incident that morning, interrupted Draco's spar. His momentary distraction earned him a solid uppercut from Gogan. He called for a pause, clutching at his jaw, and used the jotter to send Granger an annoyed message consisting solely of punctuation. Question marks. She responded with a brief note. Losing a patient. Draco didn't respond, mostly because he didn't know what to say, but also because Gogan had decided that the break was over and now was attempting to concuss him. A while later, he received the following missive from Granger. "'By the way, going out of town tomorrow, just for the day. I know our agreement said twenty-four hours' notice for departures, and this is more like twelve. Sorry, it's been hellish.' "'Where?' was Draco's response. "'Somerset,' was Granger's. "'Why?' "'Holiday.' "'One of those Astric holidays.' Granger didn't respond, so yes.' That evening, while Draco was at dinner, his ring signaled pain. 
but it wasn't physical pain. It was the heart pain of grief, from somewhere in Cambridgeshire. The poignancy of the feeling surprised him. The sincerity of it. Granger truly was a do-gooder to the core. He supposed that she had gone home and was giving way to the loss of her patient. Draco, is everything all right? Draco found himself being observed by thoughtful blue eyes of Narcissa Malfoy. He realized he'd stopped eating when the ghostly grief had suffused his senses. "'I'm fine,' said Draco, just thinking about work. Draco hadn't told his mother that he'd requisitioned the Malfoy rings. He was certain that she wouldn't agree with his repurposing, nor with his choice of recipient. He cast about for a safe subject for discussion, and remarked on the nicer-than-usual flower arrangement in the center of the table. Floristry was one of his mother's hobbies. "'Do you like it?' asked his mother, leaning over to touch a few delicate petals. She seemed in a pensive mood. "'It's in bulk tomorrow.' In bulk. The word was vaguely familiar to Draco, some pagan festival or other. Narcissa pulled up an already perfectly placed blossom and replaced it even more perfectly in the bouquet. Yes, it marks the end of winter. Your grandmother used to observe the old traditions when I was a little girl. The house would be decorated with snowdrops and daffodils on every surface. We'd have a feast, and we'd feel hopeful knowing that spring was finally on its way. Draco made some polite reply. His mother watched him eat, her own hands folded into her lap. She had something else to say. "'What is it?' asked Draco. "'Are you going to be home tomorrow? I've got some friends coming for tea.' Draco made a few quick calculations. Those few friends would most certainly happen to have lovely and accomplished daughters, who would no doubt come too. His mother had grown rather less subtle about her matchmaking since he'd turned thirty. Unfortunately for Narcissa, and the eligible young ladies— Draco's own interest in anything longer term than a dirty weekend escapade in Paris was nil. He'd done the longer term thing once, a two-year engagement to Astoria, and it had been sufficient to confirm that, no matter how pure-blooded and well-bred the witch, he wasn't ready for marriage. Granger's note earlier that day offered a convenient lifeline. Draco grimaced and said, "'I'll be working. Business in Somerset tomorrow.' Granger herself didn't know that she'd have company, and too bad for her— He'd call it a spot-check. Her safety against threats, real or imagined by Shacklebolt, was his highest priority, after all. Narcissa seemed unsurprised at the ready excuse. A pity. Next time, then. Dinner concluded. Draco retreated to his chambers, where he took a long bath and nursed his training wounds. His jotter buzzed. He summoned it to find a note from Granger, a delayed response to his earlier question. Yes, one of the Astrocolidays— a sport of sightseeing. I'll turn the ring if I need you. That last sentence was Granger speak for, I don't need you. Do not come. You are not invited. No doubt she would get shirty when he turned up. The thought elicited an unexpected tingle of amusement. Then something that had been percolating in the back of Draco's mind since dinner clicked into place. He got out of the tub, dried himself off with a few waves of his wand, and summoned Granger's schedule. Tomorrow was, what had his mother said? Imbolc and that coincided with one of Granger's asterisks. Were there other such interesting coincidences? He ran through the rest of the dates. The next asterisk was a weekend in late March, then one in the beginning of May, then June, then early August. A buzz with anticipatory triumph, Draco descended to the manor's library, where he had pulled out a few volumes on Celtic and Germanic pagan traditions. He was right. Granger's dates matched the old calendars. Draco rolled the old words out onto his tongue. Imbolc, Ostara, Beltane, Letha, Lunasa, Mabon, and Samhain. 
What was Granger up to? Drago was officially intrigued. Draco gave Granger the morning to set out on her Somerset adventure before he joined her. That permitted him an exquisite lion, some invigorating flying in the February wind, and the opportunity for a luxurious brunch. He kissed his mother's cheek with sincere regrets about missing tea. Somerset was just far enough from Wiltshire that Draco had to flew into a wizarding pub in Cannington before apparating to Granger's ring. The apparition took a moment longer than usual, with an odd sort of stretch in the final half-second, like it was trying to keep up with its destination. When he arrived, Draco understood why. Granger had been moving at a rather rapid pace, given that she was belting down a country lane in her car. Granger shrieked as Draco materialized in the seat beside her. His head was in the passenger footwell, and his boots were, well, by the feel of it, in Granger's face. It was altogether not his most graceful arrival. Granger swerved onto a verge and brought her car to a halt. Draco turned himself the right way up with difficulty as a barrage of questions came his way, including what the hell he thought he was doing, who did he think he was, and how dare he, and whether or not he was actually insane. Granger's voice could be quite shrill, penetrating, really. "'You just apparated into a moving target! Have you completely lost the plot? You could have been splinched into a hundred different pieces, scattered about the A-37!' "'I didn't expect it to be a moving target.' said Draco, feeling disheveled and a bit sick. Why are you driving? Because you told me apparition and flu were traceable. Who cares if it's traceable? You're allowed to be on holiday. Nice morning for it, by the by, he added, as rain pelted the car. Unless your holiday has something to do with your project? Granger glared at him. Aha, said Draco. Seeing that the worst of the fracas had abated, Draco, having spotted a mirror just above Granger's head, swiveled it towards himself. It was the perfect height to check one's hair. Good sorts, muggles, really. They had their priorities straight. Granger sputtered. Did you just commandeer my review mirror to fix your hair? You can have it back in a moment, said Draco. Granger was staring at him with an expression of dislike strong enough to unnerve a lesser man. She swiveled the mirror back towards herself. I need that. "'And get your overlarge feet off my dash!' "'It's not my fault your car is so cramped,' said Draco, attempting to bring his legs in. "'It's not my fault you are a gangly marionette of a man who decided to apparate into my mini!' Before Draco had time to register his offense at this unfair comparison, she got to the crux of the issue. "'And why are you here?' "'I'm conducting a spot check,' said Draco. "'A spot check,' repeated Granger, looking thoroughly unconvinced. Yes. And have you established that I'm sound of mind and body? Draco examined her critically. She seemed sound of body, from what he could see under the hat, anorak, scarf, and muggle walking boots. Soundness of mind was less easy to gauge. There was a sparkle of something dangerous in her eye. Well, she pushed. I'm fine, as you can see. You can go away now. Draco decided to take the high road and attempt some honesty. I'm also using this as a pretext. A pretext for what? Avoiding some unpleasantness at home. What sort of unpleasantness? Relentless sort of which. My mother is having ladies over for tea. Whatever Granger was expecting, it hadn't been that. A queer expression flashed across her face, as one of holding back laughter. Ladies over for tea, she repeated. Yes, what is so funny? I thought it'd be something more... More fearsome. The held-back laughter faded. Anyway, I don't want to suffer because you're afraid of some ladies. 
I don't need nor want you hanging about today. I have things to do. It's in bulk today, said Draco conversationally. Did you know? Granger said nothing, but looked freshly annoyed. "'What are you up to in Somerset at Imbolc?' said Draco. "'I didn't know you kept the old ways. You don't seem the type for flowers and dancing around poles.' When Granger didn't answer him again, Draco settled himself into his seat. "'I have assessed the situation, and, since it's obviously to do with your dangerous project, I will be monitoring you today, for your own safety, per item eleven of my recommendations. Don't argue.' "'I will eject you from this car,' said Granger. "'You can't do that.' "'I can. This button here?' said Granger, pointing to a round thing on the dashboard. "'It's a safety feature Muggles invented.' A whining whistle began to wail through the car, and Granger jumped. "'What is that?' "'Oh, that,' said Draco. "'A safety feature Wizards invented. I put a sneakerscope in your glove box, as you suggested. You lied to me about the eject button, and I'm hurt.' Granger leaned over him and popped open the glove box. "'Ow! My knees!' to see that there was indeed a sneakoscope in there. It whistled and flashed for a few moments more. Then, given that there was no more lying going on, it stilled. There was a long silence. Granger pulled back into her seat and leaned her forehead on the steering wheel and appeared to be collecting herself. "'Fine,' she said at length. "'You can stay for the duration of this distressing tea of your mother's. Just don't get in my way.' She turned the key and the car's ignition kicked into life. "'Put on your seatbelt. Oh, don't. I suppose I don't care if you die in a gruesome death.' The sneakerscope wailed again. Granger swore at it quite colorfully. "'What does that button really do?' asked Draco when the row had faded. This innocent question seemed to set Granger off anew. "'It used to be my stereo system, until someone's warding messed it up. Now it only plays Austrian folk songs.' Draco pressed the button. Austrian folk songs began to play. Granger's hands were tight on the steering wheel as she pulled back onto the road. It was clear that, in her opinion, Draco was the real nuisance horror. Muggle signposting was excellent. As they made their way down progressively windier country lanes, Draco was able to guess at their final destination with a degree of certainty. Glastonbury, he said. Interesting. Granger said nothing. Her displeasure at his presence continued, and she was not hiding it. It mattered little to Draco. A rainy drive through the English countryside with an angry Granger was a refreshing change from the usual two small sandwiches and coquettish fortune hunters. Honestly, the winding drive, the Austrian music, the fuming witch, it was absurd. It was amusing. It was fun. Draco reached to press another button on the car's central panel, out of curiosity. Granger slapped his hand away. She had decent reflexes, reflected Draco as he sucked on his stinging knuckles. Instead of driving down the street that led into the town of Glastonbury proper, Granger made a detour to a car park at the edge of the forest. There, a footpath wound into the woodland, rather soaked and frosty-looking at this time of year. "'What's this?' asked Draco. "'The Mendip Way,' replied Granger, in that way she had of answering his questions without actually answering his questions. She got out of the car. "'I'm going for a walk. You may wait in the car.' "'May he? So generous.' Draco, after a brief struggle with the handle, let himself out of the vehicle. He withheld groans as he stamped some feeling back into his legs. Granger observed his emergence from the mini with her hands on her hips. He felt her observing his choice of clothing, his aura robes over his perennial suit, and footwear, perfectly functional dragonhide boots. 
She must have concluded that it would have to do, or otherwise that it wouldn't do, and would put him in peril, and that was perfect. At any rate, she turned around and began to walk towards the woods. Draco saw her cast some rain-repelling and warming charms on herself. He imitated her. It seemed a good idea. As they entered the Mendip Way, Draco cast a few detection spells, looking for evidence of other beings, magical or muggle. However, it seemed that only he and Granger were mad enough to go for a ramble on a day like this. Save some roe deer in a nearby clearing, they were alone. Satisfied that no madmen were about to vault out and attack Granger, Draco caught up to her in a few long strides. It quickly became obvious that this wasn't just a walk for Granger's health. She was looking for something. Or several somethings. She peered into the underbrush, touched the trunks of trees, gently caught the fronds of ferns in her palm, and studied them. She took nothing, however, and so quashed any theories about ingredient gathering that Draco might have been entertaining. They progressed in this manner for a good half hour, marked by a pause to refresh their fading impervious charms. Finally, Granger stopped and pulled out a list. Draco unashamedly peeked over her shoulders. Singing Sedge, Greater Bladderwort, Royal Fern, Ophioglossin Vulgatum, Wood Sorrel, Mellifluous Honeywort, Helianthemum Apenninum, Helianthemum Nullierium, Spiny Restero, Tassel Moss. Granger used her wand to cross out the majority of the list. Only the Tassel Moss remained. What's Tassel Moss? asked Draco. Granger flinched away from him. Apparently she'd been so much in her own head that she'd quite forgotten that Draco was there, much less noticed that he was skulking over her shoulder. Her hand flew to her fast-beating heart. Draco felt faint echoes of it through the ring. He expected to be told off. However, her bad mood seemed to have been replaced by tentative excitement related to the list. "'One of the rare mosses in this part of England,' said Granger. "'Why are you looking for it?' Granger began to walk again. Her attention focused this time, on dead logs, old stumps, and other likely habitats. "'Because it will confirm that I'm in the right place.' "'The right place for what?' Granger waved the question away. "'I'm merely confirming a theory.' "'What theory?' Draco, too, could be relentless. "'Something related to my project,' said Granger, with irritating ambiguity. "'What's Moss got to do with your chimera cells, or whatever?' "'Nothing. At least, not directly.' She turned to look at him through the rain, as though to gauge what was worth telling him. "'I'm retracing the steps of an old, long-forgotten witch whose work included, amongst many other things, descriptions of certain sacred sites in the British Isles.' "'So the Vale of Avalon.' "'Specifically, Glastonbury's Wells. "'Or, at least, that's my educated guess. "'Not much of her work is still extant today. "'All we have are fragments. "'She tended to wax lyrically on flora, "'which helps me narrow down possible locations "'by cross-referencing the rarer plants. "'Of course, she was writing hundreds of years ago, "'so things may have changed a bit. "'But few places on the island "'would support both Singing Sedge and Mellifuous Funnywort. "'They typically thrive in radically different ecosystems, "'as you no doubt know.' No, Draco didn't know. In fact, he'd never even heard of these plants. But he nodded instead of admitting it. When Draco next looked up, for a heart-stopping moment, Granger had disappeared. He snatched his wand. Then he saw her backside poking over the edge of the path. She was on her hands and knees, examining a rather wet ditch. Whatever had caught her eye, it wasn't what she was looking for. She regained her feet. She didn't look disappointed, however. She looked determined. And muddy. "'Tasselmoss looks as you'd imagine,' said Granger. "'Tiny tassels across the top. "'It's the sporangia. 
usually bigger than Genus. They turn pink in the summer. Of course, we're a little too early for that. Was this woman a genius at herbology on top of everything else? Draco wondered how much of Potter and Weasley's limited scholarly success was due to absorbing her knowledge by intellectual osmosis. She was, frankly, overwhelming. Granger carried on along the path, squatting down occasionally to observe things. It was altogether rather a peaceful ramble, with the charms keeping him dry, the sound of the rain and the occasional brave songbird, and verbalizations from Granger telling off various mosses because they weren't the right one. For the first time since he'd taken the Granger case file from Tonks's hand, Draco felt glad of the decision. This was certainly more pleasant than most of his work as an or. Fewer hexes and eviscerations coming his way for a start. And, bonus, it got him out of tea with the ladies, and promised many more opportunities to do so. That set would be tut-tutting at Granger over their teacups. Granger with her hat askew, her face smeared with dirt, clambering about in ditches instead of finding herself a rich husband. But she was apparently doing something great for wizard kind. And what, pray, had they achieved? "'I think I found it!' called Granger. Draco pushed through some brambles to be, once again, presented with a view of Granger's bum. Familiarity breeds fondness. He was rather developing an appreciation for it. For reasons known only to herself, Granger had all but pressed her face into a patch of moss and was breathing deeply into it. "'Granger, what? It's meant to smell like candy floss. And it does,' said Granger, rising with a leap. There was dirt on the tip of her nose. In the shadows of the great oaks around them, her dark eyes shone with excitement. A curl of hair clung damply to her lip. Her cheeks were pinched pink by the February wind. Her smile flashed at him, a brief, rare thing. Draco realized with a shock that Granger was pretty. She clapped her hands together and squealed at the clump of moss, as though it was a treasure worth thousands upon thousands of galleons. Before Draco could process his realization, a hoarse scream echoed from some distant corner of the woods. To his amusement, Granger leapt to his side immediately, her wand raised. The queer screaming continued. When Granger saw that he hadn't reacted and didn't seem alarmed, she asked, "'What is that horrid racket?' "'That's a fox,' said Draco. "'Oh. Some slag of a vixen's asking to get her back blown out.' "'I see,' said Granger. Another scream. Draco wanted to laugh. Granger's expression had gone rather prim. She pulled out her list of plants and crossed the final line out. "'This is an excellent development. The moss, I mean, not the slaggy fox. Let's go back to the car.' "'That's it,' asked Draco. It had seemed rather easy. "'Oh, no,' said Granger. "'If only. I have about three thousand other things to do before that's it.' Knowing her, that was probably not an exaggeration. They walked back to the car. Without Granger's constant hops into the vegetation, it was rather quicker than the way in.' "'Why did you have to do this on in bulk?' asked Draco. "'In his opinion, this would have been better planned for Beltane, the more congenial weather.' She ignored the question in favor of posing one of her own. "'Do you think your mother's guests have left?' Draco conjured a pocket watch. "'No,' he lied. "'Are you sure? Rather a long tea, isn't it?' "'Society teas are multiple-hour affairs. My mother's favorites will probably stay for dinner and drinks.' Granger's moment of smiling amongst the oak trees was fading, and being replaced by the annoyance that seemed a chronic condition in Draco's presence. "'Why don't you go somewhere else? She won't know that you aren't strictly working.' "'I'm not leaving,' said Draco. "'If you were to be attacked while out and about on project work, Shacklebolt would have my hide.' 
"'What are you protecting me from?' asked Granger, with a sweeping gesture at the nothingness around them. "'Randy Foxes.' "'If you'd tell me what you were doing, I'd be better able to establish potential threats.' "'If there's one thing I've learned from the enormous mistake I made telling Shacklebolt, "'it's that I'm not sharing another word on my work,' Granger crossed her arms. "'Her posturing was rather undermined by the single leaf stuck in her hat, waving in the wind. "'Brilliant. I'll just continue to wave my wand about, waiting for the nameless baddies, shall I?' "'No. You can apparate to the nearest pub, have a cosy drink, and go home when you're safe from the ladies.' "'I'm not the one who needs to stay safe.' said Draco. Granger made a sound of frustration. You can't come! You complicate things! Complicate things how? I can stay out of the way. Didn't I just stay out of the way? I'm visiting the Chalicewell Gardens next. That involves passing as a muggle, which you don't. I can very well pass as a muggle, said Draco, indignant. The Aura program includes a substantial unit on concealment and disguise. I passed with distinction, thank you. Had he just been thinking that Granger-minding had ended up being a good decision, why must she fight him on everything? Granger rubbed at her temples. We're wasting time. Time I haven't got. Then let's go, said Draco. Show me your best attempt at a muggle disguise, said Granger. There was a desperate kind of hope in her eyes, as though she knew it was going to be rubbish, but wanted to see just in case. Draco shrank his aura robes into a handkerchief, which he pocketed. Then he modified his suit to fit the current muggle fashion, a little more relaxed in its tailoring. His boots he made into shiny men's dress shoes. His wand was concealed in a holster at his wrist. His hair he didn't touch. It was the height of perfection, magical or muggle. And, he asked, rotating slowly under Granger's critical gaze. It'd be ideal if we were going to the Dorchester for dinner, said Granger. She sighed. But I'll take it. Maybe we can make you look like a spiffy young professor, rather than a banker who's lost his way. She approached and made her own modifications, removing his tie and transfiguring his shoes into muggle trainers. Then she reached up and undid the top button of his shirt. Queer sensation, to have Granger do that. Drago filed it away for further analysis later. That'll have to do, said Granger, though she looked cynical. If we're critiquing each other's appearances, you're in need of a scourgify said Draco. Granger transfigured her car window into a mirror to discover with an, oh my, quite how mudcake she was. She made quick work of the stray leaf and the dirt, then gave Draco an odd look. What? asked Draco. Nothing, said Granger. Tell me, said Draco. No. Yes. I just, I might have expected some joke about the mud from you, said Granger. Draco stilled. Those days are long past. Granger arranged her hat and shrugged. Draco frowned. This wasn't the time for this conversation, but one day she would need to know how he'd seen, firsthand, the horrors of those hideous attitudes, and how they still lived in his head in the dead of night, and how much he wished he could take it back. I'm not that person any more, said Draco. Seeing that he was so solemn, Granger too grew serious. All right, I shouldn't have brought it up. I shouldn't have insisted, conceded Draco. That too. Granger waved her wand, and her erstwhile mirror became a car window again. She grew brisk in her movements. Shall we? Let's, said Draco. Then he ruined the serious moment by needing help with opening the car door. Granger came round to help him with saintly patience. 
she did not, to her credit, cast any aspersions on his ability to behave like a muggle. 